Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. New VanCast to round out the week. And Drancer, this was supposed to be the big reveal day. We were told a week ago that today was the day that Abbotsford AHL would essentially be born. That uh, they'd have a name and a logo and colors and all the stuff you need to play the game on the ice. And then uh, late last night, for some reason unknown at this point, uh, a little bit of a delay. So uh, it's not going to be reveal day here to round out this week. No. I'm told it's an availability issue. So something to do with whatever press conference is going to be held to unveil, announce, make it clear, uh, whatever the Canucks are doing. Um, And I I think we all are pretty confident at this point that it's Canucks, right? Like that it's the Abbotsford Canucks. Um, Presumably the jerseys and branding won't be too distinct, right? I mean, how different will it be if the team's got the same name, right? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, not not exactly, you know, the way you would have wanted it to go off, but honestly, not a huge deal. Like, this does happen, uh, seems to have been an availability issue in terms of lining up everyone for the presser. Uh, tons of hands in the pot on something like this, right? I mean, for all we know, it's a mayor's availability issue or local dignitaries. I mean, there's a ton to organize. I, you know... There's a part of me that still remembers setting up these events, <laughs> you know, like setting these <laughs> things up and just like the, you know, the nervousness about someone being like, oh, I'm not sure I can make it. And I'm like, oh, I already sent out the press release. Like, you're going to fucking make it. What are you talking about? So, like, I've been there, um, you know, not 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 anything like I saw some reaction that was like, well, if they can't even do this. Right. I- you know, and I don't know that I think that's entirely fair. Like, it's not. It's not a good look. It's not something you want to happen, but it's something that can happen. You know, like a a really important part of my former job of doing PR well sometimes is just knowing when to be like, whatever, fuck it. You know, like (laughs) if that's what we got to do, that's what we got to do. I spent so much time fighting stuff like this, like fighting to make sure that it went off on the day of, you know, like, oh, no, we already sent the press release. Like, no. I, I was like so nervous about it all the time. And it's like, at the end of the day, you just piss people off and it doesn't actually matter. Like no one is going to remember that the Canucks is AHL club affiliate logo announcement or whatever was delayed two days. It doesn't, it's not a big deal. It's not. Um, and it's so, not. And, and I'm glad like we're on the same page here. Like, look, yeah. there are enough issues around this team. Yeah. They double clutched, but you know what? They had never put out a, a formal release of time and date. Like it was always been vague and right. I think they had kind of left it loose-ended. And here's the bottom line in all of this. And again, they're an easy mark. People love to throw darts. I get all of that. They're going to have a name. They'll have a logo. They'll have a color scheme. They'll have uniforms on opening night. They're going to get yeah. there. Like, yeah, this, this is, this is, it's not like they delayed their first training camp day. Or their first, you know what I mean? Like, this is a press conference, effectively, right? Like, the, it's, a, it's a delayed press conference. And, and just, yeah, whatever. You know, I, I don't have a problem with it. I'm not. I'm not concerned. I don't even see it as a sign of concern that it's like have the Canucks bitten off too much. 
more than they can chew with this AHL team. It's like, no, whatever. They'll, they'll right. be fine. Like, <laughs> they've no, got your, a lot to accomplish, but pick this your is battles. not a problem. Exactly. Yeah. Pick your battles in the month of July. And the other thing is, you know, look, they're out of practice putting press conferences together. Like, I think that this is going to happen in person in Abbotsford. It, we haven't right. seen in-person press conferences in 18 months. So there are moving parts that they haven't had to deal with in a long, long time. And quite frankly, I think this is, you know, if you step back and, okay, yeah, so they didn't get it on the day that they originally had intended. Um, but they get to have an in-person press conference rather than unveiling this on Zoom. Like, I, I think ultimately when this comes down, whenever it is next Wednesday, like this is a win for the organization to be able to trot out a uniform and to trot out like colors and, and actually have people. And, you know, cause I, I just think it would have lost something if they had had to roll all of this out on zoom, but I, I kind of think it's Agreed. cool that we're going to have, we're, we're almost back to press conferences. Let's go. And well, and it, it is an important sales opportunity. You know, I was reflecting a little bit. We had a conversation about the likelihood, the apparent likelihood based on reporting from the Abbotsford news that the Canucks would go with the Abbotsford Canucks. Right. And I was thinking about that uniformity because I'm sure there's going to be disappointment in the market when the Canucks reveal a jersey that's like pretty similar to what they wear at the NHL level, right? And a name that's exactly the same as what they wear at the NHL level. And it'll be like, great, like what creativity, you know? And uh, and I think that's a fair reaction. Like I understand that reaction. I think it's shared by... Uh, you know, people internally, like I, I'm sure, uh, well, I'm not sure, like I'm not saying I'm sure as in I'm being thoughtful. Like I know for sure it was a subject of, you know, uh, that there's been internal debate, like for sure there has. And so, and, and by saying that, I'm not confirming that it is the Canucks thing. I just believe that it is uh, based on the Abbotsford News is reporting and what I'm hearing. But I do think the fundamental reason I like it Having, having reflected on our previous conversation earlier this week, J-Pat, is that I, there are some lingering concerns about how hard the Abbotsford market is or how soft the Abbotsford market is based on just how brutal the experience with the heat was, right? And I think we all believe that it'll be different with the Canucks in town. I think the AHL believes it'll be different. I think the Canucks believe it'll be different. I think it's a good bet. I think it will be different. But doesn't naming the team the Canucks, like it might not be as romantic as something like aviation themed or arrows or something that maybe paid a little bit more tribute to the local community in Abbotsford itself or the Fraser Valley more widely. But there's one thing we know sells in the Valley and it's the Canucks. <laughs> like, there's something like straightforward about just selling the Canucks in the Valley that I kind of respect. Yeah. And, and so it is, it's a branding and a marketing play and if you sell a Canuck jersey at a game in Abbotsford, that fan can wear it to that game. But, you know, if they come downtown to games, then they'll have a jersey they can wear to a Canuck game as well. Like, there's just, there's a lot that makes sense to me, quite frankly. And I'm not going to get worked up about a team name. I'll get worked up about the product on the ice and some of the moves around stocking that team. But ultimately, the team name, and we laid it out. Like, there are lots of examples at the AHL level of NHL and AHL teams that share the same name. There's a synergy there. There's a branding opportunity, and and the Canucks have you know long been uh, a team trying to uh, strengthen that brand and, and do some repair to that brand. It's taken a bit of a beating here, you know, in the last couple of years. So uh, look, they're going to unveil it on Wednesday. It may get out before then. It, you know, if you believe the reports, it, it's already out there. Uh, and then it's just a question of you know, ultimately what logo do they run with if it's different than the one that the Canucks use or or is it completely on brand? But uh, we'll find out all of that on Wednesday. Uh, there are other things that we have to get to this around been, the talking team. This has team. been 10 minutes of very, very negative Vancouver media, by the way. Hugely negative, J-Pat. And, uh, and um, I'm sure we've got some some listeners who are just like, man, you guys, I come here for critical Canuck stock. Like this is the number one bullshit. Yeah, but that's what the media does, right? Media. <laughs> so I just wanted to pivot into quoting Kucherov. I already bought the T-shirt. <laughs> hey, I want to, uh, and we'll we'll have to get to the Stanley Cup in a sec. But just a couple of really quick items of business that I want to cover off. Friend of the podcast, Newell Brown, is back in the National Hockey League, so we should point that out. Uh, oh, in yeah. a fam familiar landing spot for him, third time in Anaheim. Wait, would you say it's a drop pass in Anaheim? <laughs> you could go there. Yeah. Hey, I also, uh, I saw another athletic mock draft. Uh, did you win this one as well? I did. 
I clearly did. Did you not see it explicitly referenced? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Which is how you know in the channel. I was like, LOL, winning my second mock draft. <laughs> William Eklund, please. William Eklund at nine. Come on. Um, no way, but but that's okay. Like that, you know what? It illustrates a really useful point, which is that this this draft is going to break down in an unpredictable way. And whether it's William Eklund or Mason McTavish or Kent Johnson or Simon Edvinson or Brant Clark, like one of those guys is going to fall to the Canucks at nine. The Canucks are going to take him, and you know Jim Benning's reaction is going to be like, "We can't believe he was available to us at nine. And the whole industry's reaction is going to be like, "I thought that guy would go in the top five. And everyone's <laughs> going to be like, "Wow, the Canucks, great value. One of the draft's big winners. Like all the Canucks have to do is sit there and just take who falls, and they will be widely recognized as like, "What great value. Like there's a ton of scouts who will like whoever the Canucks get at nine more than whoever was drafted at fifth overall. And that's going to make for them like very early on making a ton of like draft game winners lists. Uh, all they have to do is keep the pick, not trade it, and don't overthink it when your pick comes up. This mark was a little different though. Like it, it didn't really follow. Like I think Wallstead, the goaltender, went like deep in the teens in this one. And I 16. still think that there's going to be somebody that takes him before the Canucks get to the, their turn to pick at nine. I do. I think I, San Jose would be a team that, you know, they needed goaltending for... That would be incredible. Because oh. then the Canucks end up with a pick of two guys. Right. That would be un- unbelievable. Right. But, I mean, there, there are people out there. I've read people think Wallstead is really the third best prospect. It's just that nobody's going to take a goalie that high. So, I like the fact that like, this draft has some intrigue. Like, I, I, there is, you know, a lot of drafts, it's, the top few are pretty boring, let's be honest. Like this one, to me, there could be some curveballs. That's what I love about the draft. So uh, we'll find out. We're basically two weeks away and we'll start to get some answers. And for all this talk, Tom, of this crazy July, uh, here we are a third of the way through and really (laughs) nothing has happened yet, which just means like stuff does have to happen. So it's just back back in loading this month and uh, we'll see. And now that the, the final is done, the cup's been presented, the buyout window is open, uh, you know, the ground is fertile. Uh, to make some of this stuff happen, but I, 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 so the Travis Dermott extension didn't get your blood pumping. How about how about Scott Wedgwood resigns in New Jersey? He's off the market as a Canucks cheap backup candidate in the event that they buy out Braden Holpe. There we go. Yeah, no, Nick, that, Nick, uh, Nick Bugstad. Nick Bugstad's off the market. That was a nice piece of business for Minnesota. I mean, it was tidy, a tidy bit of business, as yes. everyone, as all the hockey bloggers say. But I guess um, we're, we're all just waiting for the main event, which, of course, is uh, Nate Schmidt out and Oliver ekman Larson in. Nick, Nick Bukestad's college roommate, Nate Schmidt. Ah, yes. Yeah, they're, cool. they're nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. nice, little, nice little mini connection there. Um, yeah, well, and let's talk about Nate Schmidt quick, right? Like, we have to, because I, I think we've got more clarity on it now. Certainly, I have more clarity on it now. Um, and just that, you know, it, it seems to be complicated, but it also seems to be cooperative. And I think that's a really important thing to... Note here, like sometimes things are tricky to cover a little bit because they don't fall into the box that we're used to. You know, like this is not a Tarasenko style story, right? This is not a firm, I want out, trade me, trade request story, right? But it is a story where I think both sides independently have realized that year one of the marriage really didn't fit the way anyone had hoped, right? I do think that this was a player who came in and has played for the Capitals and the Vegas Golden Knights and had certain expectations and felt that they were unmet. And I do think that, you know, all things being equal, um, he'd like to move on. I think all things being equal, the Canucks would like to move on. I think the way that it lines up structurally, where the Canucks need to move salary out to move in any big piece, I think it makes sense that Schmidt would be one of their guys on on term and money who would actually have some cachet around the league, probably still valued as a 2-3 type quality defenseman, uh, quite rightly, despite his down season in Vancouver. And so for all of that, I do think that this Schmidt story is one to watch. Uh, This is real. This is not you know, smoke and mirrors and rumors, like this is a real thing. And, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. All of that said, it's cooperative, right? That 
No one's throwing water on this. No one's saying, nope, that's not true. Schmidt's very happy. And no one's throwing gasoline on it either and saying, yeah, we have, you know, he's, they're like, oh my God, what a jackass. Like everyone's still working together. And that strongly suggests that Schmidt uh, being, you know, who he is, a good team guy, first and foremost, like if he's not moved, he'll be back. He'll be back. Like this is not done. This is not the end of the story. This is not even a problem. This is just open communication between team and player. And because it's a little bit more nuanced, it doesn't fall into the usual sort of black and white cookie cutter trade request storyline that fans are used to consuming. And that creates this situation where people are talking about, you know, like, oh, this is rumor, like, name one source, like, did it, why is no one on the record on this? And it's like, well, because it's complicated, and it's human, and it's cooperative, and everyone's keeping it close to the vest. The the way that it's being reported, the way information's trickling out, might be a little vague, but it's actually vague because the situation's complicated and actually relatively amenable and professional, as opposed to something a little starker and more dramatic, and, and you know, guys sort of burning bridges to to get the F out of town. Like that's not what's happening. So it's just one of those weird ones to report out. And we've dealt with a lot of this over the course of the year, J Pat. And I'm just disappointed and annoyed at this point too, that like, even though, you know, this story is basically being told by Dollywall and Elliot Friedman and Ian McIntyre and Patrick Johnston and myself, um, you know, you, everybody, everybody in this market, we're, we're basically have the same thing. It's come out in drips and drabs because it's a, complicated one to tell and then fans are like well where's the source where i'm like where where is it and it's like well no it's (laughs) what are you talking about like we're not (laughs) we're not all singing from the same fake hymn book freaking morons like this is just a hard story to report on in part because of the fact that the sides are still kind of working together here If we go back to late in the season, right towards the end of the year, though, there was discussion, the COVID situation, that there would be fallout, that there might be guys that were looking to move on. Are we able to connect dots to Nate Schmidt on that front? I I, I mean, I think so, yeah. I I do. I do think we can. Um, But, you know, there was... So... I think there was a lot of smoke about a, a variety of veteran players. And so, you know, Schmidt was included among them in terms of private considerations, private people that, that I was considering anyway. But more than anything, it was just an understanding in a sense that in the wake of what happened, especially on the back side of the COVID outbreak, right? The communication throughout the outbreak, but on the backside of the COVID outbreak with the dense schedule, with the return to play, with JT Miller's comments, with the way that he was put up there, uh, what was said, what came next with the NHLPA call and how that all unfolded, that there was a a group uh, of veteran players. And, you know, I don't know that we had a very, very set um, idea of who, but I think we knew that there was something, right? And and we talked about it, right? We talked about it on the VanCast back in May. can we roll the clip? There's not a ton of damage that can be done this offseason. Then that you know, no, but that's part space. of the two. That's part of the two years that Jim Mitt referenced in right. that midseason Zoom. So I'm saying when they've got money to spend. When I don't know time, why I said that. I actually regret saying it immediately. There's not enough. There's not much damage that. Can, this is a crucial offseason. There are a ton of unique opportunities. Ones that the Canucks absolutely have to avail themselves of. Um, not to mention the leverage of getting Hughes and Pedersen done at the right level. So, I mean, that's going to shape fundamentally your options for, you know, constructing a contender around this group during their prime years. You know, I, I saw on Sakaris and Price, you referenced referenced a veteran player who's, you know, flying directly home from the Calgary game, right? Not, not yeah. sort of coming back to Vancouver for exits. I think there are potentially some trade requests coming. I, I mean, I think this is an unhappy group, and I think navigating this is going to be really, really tricky for the Canucks. Um, you know, so from that perspective too, I uh, I certainly don't think that the frustration being expressed in the Vancouver market is uncalled for or irrational or you know uh, another Vancouver the Vancouver market being crazy again. Like I actually think the Vancouver 
fan base and market might have the clearest, a much clearer assessment at this point of this team, certainly than like the national media covering. So, so right there, right? That, that was a different discussion. That's like 36 minutes into a podcast. We weren't trying to make news or <laughs> headlines <laughs> off of this. Like I was just saying, well, you know, the cap space is so limited. I don't know that it matters a ton. There's not a ton of wiggle. And then I was like, you know what? Actually, this is going to be a complicated off season in part because I think complicated situations could arise. And, and this is a good example of what I was thinking of, albeit perhaps a less dramatic one. But, you know, here's the point. Like, I said that just and, – and I was correcting myself. I was, like, rushing back to be like, hey, actually, there's more going on here than, you know, my, my original statement implied, and I want to I note that. And, you know, the reaction that I got was, oh, speculation, rumors. Like, you know, it gets, it gets shared like an out-of-context tweet, right? Yeah. And here's the thing. Like, you know, obviously – you and I are going to hear more than we can say and report, right? Like that's part of having trust. That's part of doing your job. And you always work to get the story and share everything you can with your audience to the best of your ability, but you can't always. And so, you know, with this story in particular, like do fans want to have a sense of that if I have a sense of that or do they not? You know, like what, what <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure that a informed Canucks fan who's, you know, hardcore enough that they're listening to us on a regular basis. Like if I have a sense that there's an unhappy group of players want to at least have a sense of that too. Right. Like, isn't that yeah. the job? No, completely. And, like, and they want the goods. They want the goods. And this, and right now in this marketplace, we're at this moment, like on the tail end of one of the toughest seasons to cover ever, right? Zero face-to-face -face access to players, um, zero face-to-face -face access to Canucks personnel. Um, you know, a, a COVID outbreak that resulted in the organization not making public comment for 10 days, right? And then eventually making one with a doctor and, and doing a really good job considering the restrictions on them, I think. But nonetheless, unable to comment directly through it, you know, there's been a ton of this, like a ton of these stories. There was, you know, debates like, is the media overblowing the COVID symptoms? And now everyone's like, well, you know, very clearly the Canucks had the worst COVID outbreak in the NHL, in all of professional sports, in fact. Then there's debate, well, did, is the variant confirmed or not? Some people were running with the variant was confirmed, while the athletic ran with, you know, the variant's not confirmed yet. And both were actually right, right? Like, sources were confirming the variant because the PCR test indicated a lot of information that actually helps you confirm a variant, but it hadn't been specifically genetically sequenced at the CDC, right? So both, both information points were actually correct, in the light of day, it just took a little bit to get there. And everyone's just like, oh, lying media, rumors, search, where's your sources? <laughs> and now the Schmidt thing comes and everyone's just, you know, it's the same fucking story. Now, look, people have got things wrong, right? People do get things wrong. It's impossible to be perfect. Um, you know, the, the Quinn Hughes IV story appears to have been incorrect, right? So I, I'm yeah. not, I'm not saying we're perfect as a group. But, no, of course not. No, I, I mean, you know, our, our good friend, Jason Botchford with the Marion Gabrick moved, moving to the Nicola Valley. <laughs> right? like we've all had uh, this happens. This happens to the absolute best of us. Um, the key is you correct the record, you take responsibility. Um, and I think to a man, our troop does this. And, and I'm, you know, we're starting to see these notes that's like, with the breakdown of 1040, we're seeing all these new shows. Everyone's aggressive. They're operating in bad faith, fueling this, fueling this negative, negativity in this market. And it's just like, no, like, I mean, it is competitive. It's competitive for guests. It's competitive for takes. Um, no question it's a competitive market, but no one is out there lying deliberately. No one's making stuff up. There's no fake facts. Like, we have to at least be able to trust the facts here. And, and, you know, as I look over all the times over the past year that people have accused me of speculating or, or what have you, or, you know, trafficking in rumors or, and it's just like, man, I'm so fucking careful. It's insanity. Um, I heard the Quinn Hughes IV story. I didn't go with it because I don't report like my standard is that I don't report individual symptoms without permission. Right. Like that, that's the only reason I wouldn't have gone with it um, was if I don't hear from the player specifically, that's, that doesn't meet my personal standard. 
um, it's, it was an easy mistake to make that there were reliable people who believed it. Um, not just reporters, but people I was talking to internally source people I'd consider team sources. So it was just a very confusing time. And, and it's like the Schmidt story. It's like, there've been so much, there's been so many challenges with covering this team this year. I think more than anything, you're seeing some of those seams in terms of how the team is talked about. And there are bad faith actors using that to suggest that the information flow around the team, particularly any information flow that in any way threatens their overall worldview that like things are hunky dory, which pretty clearly they're not for a team that just sustained the biggest COVID outbreak in North American professional sports, gutted their backroom staff to the point that, you know, less than 40 people were working for the Canucks at one point, um, had a large group of unhappy veteran players, hung coaches out to dry. Oh, that's the other one. People are like, Ian Clark ended up resigning. It's like, yeah, man, <laughs> after, after, after his, after his star pupil went to bat for him in public, right. Went to bat for him in private, uh, during the course of his contract talks and the Canucks ponied up with an unprecedented five year deal for him, right? Like tra- Travis Green got paid something like almost a million more than Rod Brindamore, you know, like fuck this yeah. team, this team had to come correct to make amends. That's not because it wasn't a story. <laughs> um, it's it's crazy. Like this team required nuance to cover over the co- course of the past year. Sometimes the seams of covering that nuance showed a bit in terms of how it was discussed and reported on. And the people that are using that weirdness over the p- past year to imply that like people are out to get Jim, and as a result you know, the reporting in this town, like, oh, it's, you know, just salacious bullshit. It's like, I don't, I don't actually see a ton that's been wrong. The only thing that I see that's wrong is the increasing, like, fake news conspiracy applied to everything we responsibly say in discussing and covering this team. And it's driving me fucking mental. I can tell. Uh, (laughs) No, I mean, that's, I'm with you. And look, like I've been in this market longer than you have, working in this market longer than you have, and and so it goes back years for like the number of times that I've heard people say to me, either you know when I was on the radio or social media, you know, like you guys are just making stuff up, like you, you got to fill programming, you you, you know, you, you need things to talk about, so you start making them up. Um, to which I would say, like you and I do this three times a week. We used to do it two times a week. We extended. We, yeah. Like, I don't think there's a lot of fabrication on the Vancast. We Zero. basically deal in fact. And these except, people. Except that, when we say nice things about each other. Well, there's that. But, but these people that, you know, quite often will say, you know, like, you know, just deal with the facts. Like, and then I always think to myself, like, Put yourself in my shoes or Tom's shoes or any host shoes. Like you got to fill three or four hours of radio programming. You need things to talk about. So yeah, at times you're going to get into some conceptual stuff. You're going to get into some abstract things. You, you know, we deal in some speculation at times. That's not lying. It's not fabricating the truth. No, we've got a job to do to fill programming hours or in the case of the podcast, there's no set time, so we just talk till we got nothing left to talk about. But but I always think like, my God, imagine listening to that person's talk show if they were only going to deal with what they saw on the ice within the 60 minutes of a hockey game. <laughs> well, and also it's things like things like someone credible reports that you know Sam Reinhardt wants to be traded and would like to be in Western Canada. Right? Are you then speculating when you're like? Sam Reinhardt makes his summer home in Vancouver. Would he fit for the Canucks? Let's build 15 minutes of talk about why or why Sam Reinhardt wouldn't be a fit with the Canucks. You There's know, no lie there. No, far from a lie. You're, uh, you're taking facts and you're just Advancing. creatively applying them, right? Yep. And then, and then yep. using the facts on the ground, the Canucks' roster construction, their cap space, to, totally. discuss, an, to discuss a concept. Like, that's the job. It's, it's not... Anyway, we don't even need we don't even need stuff to talk about JPAT to fill hours. You and me, in particular, um, and and apparently with me doing ninety percent of the talking, according to our commenters. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, we went two episodes per week during the fucking pandemic. We can we can go wow. all day on nothing. We, uh, this is the Seinfeld of Canucks podcasts. So um, you know, we uh, it's a pod, it's a Canucks podcast about nothing. Name that Canuck. We'll we'll do we'll do fifteen minutes about. 
obscure Garth Butcher facts. Let's go. Um, so yeah, no, to, I mean, to which, uh, and when I made my announcement <laughs> that I was leaving and the, the next pod, we talked about some of the responses and the reactions and, and I forgot that there was one guy that was like, I love the van cast. I've been with you guys throughout, even when you did name that Canuck. Even I was like, when? What? I was like, what? <laughs> even when we didn't name that Canuck. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Yeah. Um, even when we did it. I, I like that. I thought that was good. People enjoyed it. Um, I, but <laughs> we, did, we did. And ultimately, yeah, we that's, did. <laughs> those are the most important people uh, on this podcast. Although we do love the VIPs. Love the VIPs. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, so we talked a little bit about Nate Schmidt and the discussion, the broader discussion around Nate Schmidt. Uh, Now Oliver Ekman Larson seems to have re-entered the conversation, although perhaps that's more on the Coyote side of the equation or even the Oliver Ekman Larson camp. Last year, it was a two-team focus, the Canucks and the Boston Bruins, but it does sort of feel, Tom, like the Canucks, uh, at least this week, have sort of been dragged back in to this OEL discussion. Yeah, I mean, you can't, when you're a team with the Canucks' cap issues, I just don't think you can turn away wholesale from a cash-strapped team, right? A team that, like, the Canucks and the Arizona Coyotes, considering Arizona's particular issues, are actually a natural fit. Because the Canucks have a bunch of money on their books, where the cap hit is high and the salary is low. Um, you know, by six days from now, when Erickson and Beagle get their bonuses paid out, Beagle will be due like $1.2 million in salary with a $3 million cap hit. Erickson will be due $3 million with a $6 million cap hit. And, you know, Antoine Roussel's due $1.7 with a $3 million cap hit, right? So you're talking about $6 million in salary liabilities, but $12 million in cap hit. Right, the difference between real cash and cap cash is six million. That's huge. That's a huge deficit. So, if the Canucks were going to try and reallocate salary cap space, a concept which I've been obsessed with, <laughs> obviously, right? We've talked about it at length on this podcast. You know, finding a trade partner that is a team that is cash conscious and perhaps has some bad deals of their own, but bad deals attached to better players. Whether it's OEL, whether it's Schmaltz, Nick Schmaltz, the other guy that I always bring up because I think Nick Schmaltz is good, but you know, he's kind of a like softer middle six offensive forward, right? Like he's not really a $6 million a year player in the eyes of many in the industry. So, you know, there's guys like that, that maybe there could be a fit there. Like maybe there's a way to get a decent deal. And I still think Oliver Ekman Larson is probably in the minds of the Canucks, you know, a top four quality guy, right? Like a second pair defenseman. Um, you know, a, a younger version of Alex Edler, if you will, <laughs> by four years anyway. So, you know, I do think that I do think that the fit is so obvious that you can't ignore it. Like, it, if the Canucks can give cash salary relief to Arizona and potentially upgrade their roster from the bottom end of their roster, um, you know, with considering those options. Now, OEL's a really bad contract, right? Like, that's that goes through twenty twenty seven. It's forty million in salary liability. Like, it's huge, huge nuts. I think it's one mil, of the yeah ten mil cash. It's, would, it's one of the five worst contracts for defensemen in the sport. For pretty clearly, so yikes. you know tying yourself to that, it's a big whopping bet, no question. But you know, and and I explained this uh, a little bit when I joined you and you and Blake on uh, Sakaris and Price yesterday, right? Which was the way to look at it is not you know Blake threw out to me you know would you even do it for Roussel and Beagle? 
And the way I explained it was like, you're looking at 2.9 million in salary liability versus 40 million in salary liability. Like the question is not what you do Beagle and Roussel for Ekman Larson. The question is what else could Arizona throw in to, to make it interesting to you? Right. And if that pie gets big enough, does it become something you have to consider? I, I don't think the Schmidt for OEL thing makes a ton of sense necessarily. Although you can see why Schmidt would be of interest uh, to Arizona. Again, a, a very obvious fit. Play the left and the right side. They only have Chikorin and Labushkin and maybe one other guy uh, whose name I can't even think of to protect an expansion. Like they have no D. Demers is up. Yalmerson's up. Um, I guess OEL's the other guy. But uh, Yalmerson's up. Demers is up. Goligoski's up. Like they need defensemen. They need defensemen that right. can play. So, you know, you can see why people's wheels would turn that way. Why, you know, it would seem like a natural fit to a bunch of people and why that sort of surfaced. I don't think that's an active consideration or a particularly likely one. I think the Canucks will be aiming higher um, or looking at the other option that we discussed last episode, which is the, you know, expensive, cheaper guy, right? <laughs> like the, the Marcus Nudevara type yep. deal. And Marcus Nudevara is hardly the only guy that fits that mold. Um, so, you know, th- those are sort of the things that I'd be more expectant of in engaging what a possible Schmidt return could look like. But, um, you know, I- I'm, I'm not, I'm not, writing off the OEL thing yet because I think Arizona is really motivated to move that deal. And if they're motivated enough to move that deal, could they at some point get to the Canucks or a team like the Canucks with a, you know, offer to eat enough salary or include enough additional good futures that the Canucks would value that the team just kind of is like, fine, we'll roll that dice. You know, like we're not going to roll that dice, but do we like Barrett Hayton as a potential third line center? Like, do we like Connor Garland as a, really affordable first line caliber rate scorer. Like, do we, do we like that? Like, yeah, you should. Cause Connor Garland's fucking awesome. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, it's an interesting one to monitor because depending on how desperate the coyotes get to offload that Ekman Larson deal. And I'm pretty sure they'll get pretty desperate, especially when you look at the structure of that deal and the size of some of the signing bonuses coming down the pike. Um, is that something you have to consider? For a team with Vancouver's cap allocation issues, I, I, I think it might be, and so I'm you not, know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not closing the door on that one at all. There's a couple of things that jump to mind for me. One is, and I, I've already seen a few people out on social asking the same question. Like, so Nate Schmidt doesn't want to play in Vancouver, but he'd be open to playing in Arizona. Like, yeah, whatever. I mean, that's his choice, and well, I don't know. I, if I it's don't a- know. I don't know if he would. Like, I don't have it. No, I, I, I know, but that's just a question that's been floated, and I think it's fair because the other one. Look, if they're going to move off OEL, and it's the second year in a row that they've tried to to offload that contract, and then you talk about you know sweetening it with Connor Garland or Barrett Hayton, and we talk about Michael Bunting on a, a recent like who the hell is going to play for that organization? Like I get frustrated because it feels to me like we are right back to square one with hockey in the desert. They just went and hired a junior coach who you know good for him. He gets the opportunity, but let's be honest, it was an attractive price point too. Um, for the Coyotes, like who's going to play for that team, and how can they possibly think that they're they're moving forward? Well, I think they have to rebuild. Like I just think they have to rebuild. Like they're in that they're perfectly positioned in that muchy middle, and like they don't have a ton of firsts here, right? Like they they have sacrificed this year's first. I think they sacrificed one more. Am I right? Yeah. So from the- when you say sacrifice, they got slapped hard by the league. Yeah. Penalized. Yeah. Um, but they, yeah, they sacrificed it to, um, you know, oh, so sorry. No, they have their own, they have their first next year. So it's this year's first that they've lost. Per cap friendly, they, they are, they have their 2022 and 2023. So they don't have their first this year. And yeah, I mean, they have a lot of needs, like a lot of needs and a lot of expensive players. Like I think Christian, I think the world of Christian Dvorak. 4.45, that's probably fair, but Phil Kessel at 6.8, I'm not sure about. Clayton Keller at 7 plus, like, I don't know about that. That's not looking like a very efficient deal. Schmaltz at 5.8, I think that would be a tough deal to move. Uh, Chickering at 4.6, that's a steal, but Ekman Larson's a problem. And then Darcy Kemper, Darcy Kemper's obviously got huge value, especially as he's on the expiring uh, on an expiring contract. He might be a really useful chip to move at the deadline for them. So, yeah, I mean, they've got a lot of work to do, but I don't know how you'd look at this roster and not think we almost have to start from square one. 
Right, but it's been 25 years of starting from square one. I know. Uh, and it's, it's sad, man. And and it, especially with that arena situation and now the sun's doing well, like, it's really too bad how things have gone for them in the desert. But, you know, and, and, and of course, the ownership group didn't do themselves any favors, um, you know, nor did the second-year GM threatening uh, threatening Cage Strang. <laughs> right. Um, no. but, uh, so, yeah, one I mean, turn after another. Not, not hard to feel too sorry for this group. But, um, but yeah, I mean... When you look at that roster, and like, what would what would you be doing? I mean, I think I'd probably be hoping that I can get more out of Keller, more out of Dvorak, like that those guys will keep developing. And other than that, I'd be like, okay, let's reload around those guys. Like, hopefully, I can ice a good team when Keller is twenty six and Dvorak is twenty nine, and hopefully, like a Selkie nominee. And that's sort of the my template. Like everything I'm doing is for two to three years down the line here. Which means bringing in and Chickering's twenty six, right? Like that's sort of that's sort of my core group, and I need to reload around them so that I have a chance to be to make noise. But I, I do think the only route forward is to take take on a couple years of pain, and, and that might not be what the Coyotes want to hear. But I mean, I, I I don't see any other way to do it. To be totally honest with you. Well, this is the van cast. Yeah, we'll get out of the Coyotes cast. Not Coyote chat, so we should uh, probably move along. Uh, how much? How much due diligence would a team have to do if it truly was interested in Vladimir Tarasenko? I mean, I love Tarasenko. I think Tarasenko's great. Um, yeah, but is he the five straight 30-goal Tarasenko? Or he's played 34 games the last two seasons yeah, it comes, combined. It comes down to the medicals. And that and that seems to be based on Jeremy Rutherford's ace reporting. The um, you know reason that this has fallen apart. He doesn't trust the club to manage his injury. Um so, yeah, and, and you can understand why. I mean, he's gone under the knife three times, three times in two years, and left the bubble because of it, probably was rushed back in the bubble, on and on. Just a, just a bad situation. And I think you'd have to be really confident in the medicals to, to take him on at $7.5 million. Like, you'd have to be confident that he's going to bounce back. But the underlyings on him suggest that he's still an elite player, like, generates an incredible amount, but if he's not going to finish the way that he did earlier in his career and the last couple of years, his percentages have been down and the fact that he's had a shoulder injury and what we've seen with Brock Besser post back injury and what happened to his shot velocity, right? Like yeah. it's a pretty big bet you're making right now, right now, if you get Tarasenko and, he, and you can keep him healthy and his shot doesn't rebound to its post-surgery form, you're looking at like, in my mind, like a really good play driving second liner, Right. Um, I don't think you want to pay seven point five million for that, right? If his now if his shooting bounces back and he becomes an elite finisher again, then you're looking at you know really really good value, like a really great player, an elite player. Um, is that a bet? I think that's a bet you'll find someone willing to place. Like I do, I think someone's going to be willing to place that bet. It's just it's a big one, no question. All right, so we are ten days now, or nine as we record this, into the month of July. Buyout window is open. I know you have been strong on this idea that uh, there's no need to rush into buyouts. That if you can trade contracts and get them off the books entirely, that's a, a better option. But what about for teams that want a little bit of financial security if they're looking to make deals to poach teams in protection crunches and and those types of things? Like, are you anticipating that we will see some buyouts here sooner rather than later? I don't know. I don't. I, I like. I don't have a really good sense of it. I won't be stunned, for example, if we see an early Vertanen buyout from a Canucks perspective. That wouldn't shock me. I'd be a little bit surprised, but it wouldn't be like stunning. What would surprise me would be like an early Brayden Holby buyout. Like that would that would shock me. That's something you wait for. But yeah, I mean, if you're going poaching for an expansion crunch team, just to sort of lay this out, right? It's like you can always effectively reach a deal and be like, okay, just, um, well, first of all, you can exceed the cap by 10% anyway right now, right? So you just yes. do the deal and then you put the guy on waivers and then you buy him out the next day. And it's like, yeah, you're, you're cap crunched as a result of the trade for something like 12 hours, but it's not a huge deal. You can just sequence things, sequence your other moves, sequence other signings. So, you know, I, I mean, again, you can be reactive and I, and I just expect teams to be like teams generally are. Now there are sometimes buyouts you see right away. Uh, you know, ones that are just no-brainers for teams or they've already explored the market and they just have a very good sense that they can't move the guy. So, yeah, we could see a couple really obvious ones early, but I think some of the ones that are more interesting, like Alex Wenberg happened on the very last day of the window, right, last year. 
that the, the more interesting ones, the ones where teams are trying to really trying to figure out a way out of their cap straight jacket and ultimately conclude that they can. Those are the ones that will wait. So the, the more interesting names that I'm looking at, like guys like Nick Schmaltz, like, you know, guys like Tyler Johnson, right? Like could Tyler Johnson be a buyout? Could Nick Letty be a buyout candidate considering New York's issues and how buyoutable that contract is? Those are the ones that I'd expect teams to exhaust all other options before concluding that a buyout is you know, an absolute necessity. Those are the ones that I'm the, 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 the bigger names, the more interesting ones. Those are the ones that will wait. All right. Uh, final thoughts. Do we want to revisit the Stanley Cup final at all? Was there, I mean, it wasn't let's, a surprise. Let's just talk Kucherov. <laughs> That's fine. And, Brent, I just, and, and, and I mean, and obviously my guy, uh, Colton. Yes, uh, awesome. the the depth of the Tampa Lightning, and you've been on this for a while. That uh, <laughs> the guys on their on their taxi squad, their Black Aces, uh, you know, could play yeah. high in in a lot of lineups around the National totally. Hockey Most League. Most of their season ticket members. <laughs> I, w- I wish we had had a wager on our predictions, but uh, alas, it was uh, we just yeah. kind of threw out guesses and. But uh, I lost big time, um, and I won. <laughs> clearly won. I, I had that. I had that. I had this one idiot being like. Drance knows nothing. He picked the Lightning to lose in the first round in seven. And it's like, I'm not allowed one sentimental pick for my former employer. <laughs> like, fuck off. Come on. I'm not allowed one sentimental playoff pick. Like, these are not ironclad. Come on, man. Come on. I'm allowed to pick the Panthers. <laughs> my favorite. And a ton of play for Kucherov after the fact. And, and I, you know, I saw people trying to shit on him for, you know, respect the game and respect your opponent. It yeah. was great. It was yeah, fun. It was the best. You win back-to-back Stanley Cups. I think you've earned the right to run your mouth a little bit. And so, uh, you know, the thing that he said about Montreal. My favorite part in the whole bit that didn't really get a lot of play, though, was when he was talking about, he kept talking about Vasi, uh, Vasilevsky uh, losing the Vesna to that guy in Vegas. That guy. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Um, Look, first of all, Vasilevsky should have won the Vesna, right? Um, Secondly, Montreal fans did celebrate really hard. And I mean, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I, I don't know how else you would have reacted, but you know, it's fun to win in the cup finals. Good for them. Like they deserve to celebrate, but when the winning player, when the player from the winning team then takes a shot at them, like that's great. That's great. And and look, there's been a lot of insanity around this lightning cup win, like that photo of Vasilevsky and, and Carey Price, um, you know, who, <laughs> who I think we're the same chest protector. Like Louis Domingue said that, um, Louis Domingue said that, Vasilevsky wears this, a Bauer, a Bauer chest protector that's the smallest on the market. But I, I think that's outdated information, like from from when they were teammates. Uh, based on what I'm hearing, and what I'm hearing is obviously from from our friend Kevin Woodley. Um, I think I think Vasilevsky changed his chest protector and is actually wearing the same brand, the exact same equipment that Carey Price is in that photo. Everyone's just like, "Oh, it's horrible." It's like, shut up. Everyone needs to shut up. The cap thing, shut up. This is insanity. We, we, the conspiracies to discredit the Lightning are out of control. Out of control. Ridiculous. This is a great team. Well managed. Did everything right. Um, Vasilevsky's incredible. He should have won the Vesna. And Nikita Kucherov's a god for, for calling everyone out on their number one bullshit. I loved it. I loved every minute. I've already bought and the v- t-shirt. Vasilevsky's 26. He turns 27 next Incredible. month. Like, that's a scary thought for the hockey world that this guy, he, he's just coming into his own now. Oh, he's a uh, but, robot. But the, he's, but the photo, amazing. that photo was incredible. Like he looked four times the size of Carey Price. I, I joked on uh, Scaris and Price that Price was going with the uh, the slim fit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently the difference is whether you tuck it in or not. Yes. But I mean, look. Vasilevsky does not look that large in that, though. You know what I mean? Like he, No, and nobody had said anything during the series. No. It was based on one photo. And that's the other thing. Tampa has no villains, right? So people have to... They have to come after them on the, the salary cap stuff and then the goalies equipment. Like, there are no villains on that team. They're a hard team to dislike. You're right, they are. <laughs> I mean, Yan Gord could be a villain. Yan Gord could be a villain. I can, I can cast Yan Gord as a villain, but it's hard. I mean, you're right. They're a likable group. They play great hockey. I, I loved the Igor Larionov story too, and and I loved Joe Smith pulling up that Larionov tale about how much he loves watching Kucherov because Kucherov plays the game, plays an East-West game that's hard to defend, and it's so rare in the NHL. And there is nothing I love more, JPAT, than there's this whole, like whole generation, and I, I consider the Twins to be among them. But guys like Robert Long, guys like Radim Verbata, 
guys like Igor Larionov, like often European based skill players who now watch the NHL and they're like, all anyone does is skate and shoot. <laughs> they're like, where's the creativity and the teamwork? Like, I love the Capitals power play and how the Lightning play. Like, that's that's like a very common thread you get from talking to those gentlemen. And I love it. Like, I'm here for any time someone puts that on the record because it's just so representative of how so many skilled players feel about the modern NHL and the contemporary game. And I think they're dead on. Like, I think they're right. I don't think there's enough of the, like, ticky-tacky, intricate passing uh, in the NHL right now just because it's hard to do because of the way that teams don't get the type of runway that this Tampa Bay core has to, to work together and stay together over the course of time. Well, hockey season is over. The champs are the champs again. So congratulations to the Tampa Bay Lightning. We are officially into the offseason. The buyout window is open. So let's see what the weekend brings. We'll reconvene three more new VanCasts for you as we continue to chip away here through the month of July. Uh, expansion draft just around the corner and beyond that. The draft itself and then to free agency. So I say we get news been- next week, j I say we have something to discuss beyond just an AHL post uh, press conference postponement. Uh, I think we'll have I think we'll have meat on the bone next week. I'm pretty sure. Well, and if not, we just make it up because that's <laughs> that's ultimately uh, what we do. Yeah. Hey, we've been telling you for a while that the Athletic Hockey Show has expanded to five days a week. The Friday version is the Prospect Series with Max Boltman and Corey Pronman, and of course, we are just a couple of weeks out from the draft. The Canucks holding on to that ninth pick right now, so uh, you may want to check out the Prospect Series. That's available at the Athletic app. And check out our comment section for each podcast episode of That Athletic App. Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. All right, that's going to conclude the week. Let's hope that there is some news to uh, dive into next week. Regardless, we'll be back with three new episodes of the VanCast for you uh, next week. But that's going to do it for now. For Drancer, it's JPAT. As always, thanks so much for your support and for listening to another edition of the VanCast here at The Athletic and theathletic.com.